Chris Movie Corner, he reviews the movies from what's in the theaters to old forgotten favorites. Mike's Movie Corner, he does it just for you. Mike's Movie Corner is here. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Moss of Mike's Movie Corner. And I'm here with uh, Martin Lean. Hello. Hi. Martin Lean here. You're listening to Mike's Movie Corner. Yes. And uh, our main movie to talk about today is a 1988 film by John Carpenter called They Live. But first, I want to briefly talk about a little movie that's in the theaters called Batman vs. Superman. I saw this movie. Did you see it? No, I didn't. Ah, man. Why not? It's fucking awesome. I got distracted by the, well, they're make, there's a porno version of it. Oh, what's it called? I think it's Batman versus Superman. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. The The movie is, it's pretty fucking awesome. There's fight scenes. Uh, Jack Nicholson makes an appearance. Michael Keaton. Uh, Christopher, um, no, he doesn't because no. he's dead. Richard, Pr- no. no. Um, I don't know. Well, that's it, cool. They bring back the old guard. <laughs> I like that. The the originals, not from the 30s or 40s, whenever they started doing Superman superhero mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. but it's it's the old guard. It's the it's a tip of the hat. Mm-hmm. And then also Heath Let No, I guess not. Well, anyway, it's it's an awesome movie. Check it out. It's a 10 out of 10. 10, I... Ate uh, five bags of popcorn while I watched this movie and had to. I was farting in the in the theater a lot, and people were getting pissed at yeah. me. Yeah, you went into the toilet, and then it was probably like a womp, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah well, I, w- I went into the toilet after the movie because I didn't want to miss this any of this movie because it was fucking awesome. Yeah, I can't expect the constitutional fortitude of your b- b- bowels to hold yeah. up to the butter <laughs> salt i mean i was i was able to hold it in while i watched the movie i wasn't holding in farts but i was holding in a poop and yeah <laughs> and then and then after the movie i was like oh i just i rushed out of there so bad because i had to poop mm-hmm. but at least i saw the whole movie and had the experience and it's it's a 10 out of 10 go see batman versus superman yeah better than the new star wars movie like way better what about superman 3 how does it hold up to that that's yeah, not as good as superman 3 but you know very few movies are but it's still awesome you know who would they if they remade superman 3 who would play richard Pryor's part dave chappelle uh, probably are they Cedric the Entertainer? <laughs> I guess I don't know. Kevin Hart is popular. They'd probably have him play. Yeah, he doesn't have to be black, but you know, it's <laughs> Richard Pryor not just being black. He's very larger than life. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got a whir about him, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, you mentioned that. Like Chappelle probably is like in the post two thousands era, probably the closest person we have to a Richard Pryor. Yeah, he's smart. Enigmatic. Mm-hmm. Shucky yeah. ducky. <laughs> He's, yeah, uh, Chappelle is talented, versatile. Right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, 
now now that I'm done talking about that theater film, we so should how would you? Yeah, we. I noticed we kind of abandoned our rating system. What would you? How would you rate Superman versus Batman? What would you give this? Oh, uh, dude, it's Batman versus Superman. <laughs> That's okay. Superman versus yeah, Batman. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was thinking that must be the porn version. Um, maybe I'd give it um, ten uh, bat wings out of ten. Okay, sounds kind of biased. Yeah, <laughs> ten wings get you wings. Yeah, doesn't Drake have some song like "Fly" is about wings or something? Something about I owls. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. <laughs> So anyway, um, we just watched a little movie called from 1988 starring Roddy Piper directed by John Carpenter called They Live. Yeah, we did. What do you think of this movie? It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm thinking of it in nostalgia terms. Movies meant more, but maybe I'm glorifying or being too nostalgic about my childhood or something. But there was a time, not that there isn't a time, but there's something about turning on cable TV or, in my case, living out in the rural country of having, you know, just the big four. And I'm not talking about Anthrax, <laughs> Slayer. Metallica or Megadeth. I'm talking about NBC, ABC, CBS, and public television. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the trailer would come on TV, and here's this movie, and they would put it together in a minute or two minutes of this film that was an action feature directed by John Carpenter. And at the time, I mean, he was a, at least for that genre, he was a top billing man with. Mm-hmm. The particular top billing action stars, be it Kurt Russell. It's pretty much Kurt Russell, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't. I guess, yeah, when you think about it, like his movies, like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Was Jamie Lee Curtis, Holly yeah. Was in, but I guess uh, I'm thinking of the 80s. Yeah. Like she was in Halloween. She wasn't a big name at that point. She was only like, 20 no, years old. Starting out. But. I digress and go back to what I was talking about. I can't say this is a flawless film and doesn't have its rising falling parts, but not that the director wasn't going for those things. You can't be action the whole time. Mm -hmm. What are you, a Michael Bay movie? (laughs) Hey, get out of here. No no respect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Vinny Boombox. Bye. To the doctor, he said, it hurts when I do this. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, it hurts when I watch Michael Bay movies. Don't watch them. <laughs> but they live. Yeah, it was exciting. You get pulled in by these concepts and maybe a lot of the concepts now, uh, elitism, uh, the creatures themselves uh, resemble what they refer to now in Illuminati. David Icke circles, I suppose, as <laughs> reptilians in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh Class warfare. Mm -hmm. I guess media brainwashing. Media brainwashing. Again, out of the Illuminati, the Bilderberg group, there's an elite class running the whole system that we're not aware of. Mm -hmm. 
and I watch it now as I'm older and we watched it tonight and I almost, you start seeing like two sides of it, whether or not, and I don't know the concept of people being asleep, you know, and you got to wake up and maybe by the end of it, I'm thinking of the protagonists. It's like, well, they're awake, but are they really awake or should they just be giving in to these creatures and just going along with it Mm. for the better life? Oh yeah. (laughs) I suppose. And then I think a lot where, like I said, when this movie came out, it was 1988, and I, you think about now, it's 2016, and you think, oh, is it that much worse than it is, or are we just seeing it all because it's shoved in our face every day with Facebook, Twitter, media, the news, the fake news, the propagated news, the CNNs, the Fox News. Mm-hmm. But maybe this movie looks a little more relevant now than when it came out. When it came out, it might have just been seen as more of a sci-fi beneath the surface the world not that there wasn't conspiracy theories at the time but now it seems more relevant because all these conspiracy theories are talked about daily mm-hmm. and or they're you're seen on the web depending on what you follow i run into things like this because of websites i follow and podcasts i listen to mm-hmm. that deal with the supernatural uh, conspiracy theory cults uh, the power elite the illuminati mm-hmm. and i'm not a strong believer in those things it's for me i don't know maybe i'm, I'm one of the people who's not awake because it's just entertainment for me <laughs> but where was i going with this i can't remember what I, was <laughs> I guess yeah like i don't know i mean that's that stuff is is definitely interesting and it's provocative and whatnot but i don't know yeah, kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and whatnot. At the same time, I think where I was going not to interrupt you is if you want to live your life like that, you can go down any rabbit hole you want to, but you're just going to keep going down the rabbit hole. And I look at a mm-hmm. lot of the uh, theories or <laughs> call them the other theories, all right, with conspiracies and whatnot. It seems to be, well, the world is big enough and there's so many billions of people out there that they kind of self-propagate themselves. And the conspiracy theorists say this, and here's my theory, and I think this, and I see this, and they're just kind of, they continually spin the wheel. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of, it just keeps snowballing. Oh, yeah. To the point where I... uh, Okay, I can't believe the conspiracy. I can't believe the what you don't even know oh, anything. Yeah, exactly. It's just, <laughs> it's just I become so ridiculous and far fetched. And like you said, you take it with a grain of salt because it's like, well, who are these people? This is yeah, not necessarily a person who's an idiot, but they're not necessarily in the right state of mind, and they're just creating something based on something they saw that that someone else saw that someone else said that is a fifth or sixth generation copy of some video that they're looking at and saying, well, you can see this is this, so this is the plane crashing into the building and you can see layering because it's been edited and the plane wasn't there in 9-11. <laughs> oh, yeah. It just, it just kind of goes on and on and on and on. And yeah, you think of George Orwell and the different departments creating propaganda and creating propaganda on top of propaganda of propaganda and blending the propaganda with another propaganda and bleeding this. And it just becomes a big fucking mess. And Mm -hmm. I guess if that's what these supposed uh, reptilians or elitists want, then that's what they want. And everyone's confused and no one knows anything. And the dark 12 run the world. And uh, fuck it. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is, 
I don't know, us as little people, which we are, well, what are you going to do about it when you find something out? Oh, yeah, it's not exactly. as simple as uh, undoing a bow and letting it out like it's neatly undone in the movie They Live or Rowdy, Rowdy Piper shoots the transmitter, which is conveniently located at the top of a building that's very unguarded. And all of a sudden the world is flooded with these reptilian creatures that everyone can now see because the single signal's not being cloaked anymore. And I don't know. It's not that black and white. And I suppose in that way they live is it's satirical. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely a, it's a satire. It's a fantasy. It's a metaphor, you mm-hmm. know, I, I guess I, maybe, yeah, I'll go ahead. I guess I was going to say, I kind of wonder what, like, John Carpenter, and I can't remember who, John Carpenter didn't actually write They Live. I can't remember the name of the person that wrote it, but I kind of wonder what they would think of all the conspiracy stuff that goes on now and whatnot. Right, and it came originally from a short story, which I did find online when I was in college. Hmm. And that was based on more, I think the guy saw, he was able to see them, or maybe he found sunglasses I can't remember, but it was similar, but it was more like outside of that whole story, just like another fragmented person who was able to see these things. It was like their take and it Mm -hmm. didn't really relate other than in form to Mm -hmm. the They Live movie Mm -hmm. screenplay. But like I said, seeing it as a kid, it's. It's an action movie, first and foremost, especially to a 12-year-old, and it's awesome. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. Okay, I know who Rowdy Rowdy Piper is back then. For me, that was the, I don't know what wave of pro wrestling, but I suppose the golden age for myself when things kind of came to a head in the 80s with the Hulkster and Andre the Giant, Randy Macho Man Savage, the uh, Ultimate Warrior, uh, Rowdy Rowdy Piper, who was the lead star in They Live, the golden age of the wwf now wwe it was wwf was taken by the world wildlife federation <laughs> world wrestling entertainment is another moniker but like i said it came off as this exciting movie it's an action movie it's sci-fi there's violence there's action uh, there's mystery, there's intrigue of, oh, you put on these sunglasses and you see this other world you're not seeing that you haven't seen before and none of the conspiracy things applied back to me well, you know back then i'm a kid it's just this oh yeah exactly. it's just a vehicle for what it is back then or just a vehicle for me or how i interpreted it as oh it's just science fiction mm-hmm. fun interesting i saw it i think on cinemax or showtime late at night it was a school night i just stayed up and watched it. and you you have to it's you're enraptured by it it's awesome mm-hmm. it's john carpenter if you're not familiar with his work it's towards the end and his career isn't over but it was definitely the peak and the probably his last like great movie. Hmm. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, but yeah, it is kind of interesting how like this this movie almost is kind of more relevant now than anything. Like I remember, um, I think you posted that on Facebook where they it, it was kind of a they live as now where it shows a bunch of current celebrities as they live characters and whatnot. Kanye West, Donald Trump, Kim Kardashian, Miley Cyrus, people like Bruce that. Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're the reptilians and in a way, whether or not we're living amongst reptilians or an elite class, look at it more of as these people are hiding in plain sight. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Donald Trump is what he is. He's right there in front of us, wagging his dick at us and laughing, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess it also, like, it's it's almost kind of more of a metaphor of, like, saying that, you know, this type of stuff isn't really important. You should worry more about other important things mm-hmm. or the real shit in life, you know. <laughs> Being a good person, not letting yeah. society crumble. And I guess they kind of touch on where things have ended up or have things have become more exposed with the constant social media that's always in our face with the news broadcasts and some of the higher up media and or famous TV people in They Live where I just want to, there is some woman talking or something on a TV commercial where it's like, I just want to be famous. I just want to be known. And that's kind of a thing. And I think it infects everyone, but everyone has their own bit of narcissism. They want to be known. They want to be recognized. Everyone wants to be an individual. Everyone Mm -hmm. wants to be special. Everyone wants to be paid attention to, Mm -hmm. big or small. I suppose, yeah, now with like social media and YouTube and the internet, it's almost, that's almost more rampant than ever before. Yeah, because the, in some ways, the playing field has been leveled, but it's not important, mm-hmm. <laughs> really. I, it's a playground, at least for me, and it's a place where I act a fool and have fun. It's 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 escapism, mm-hmm. by far. <laughs> but yeah, it is. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's fun and entertaining, and even kind of, you know, you can use it to express yourself and be creative and what. Be spontaneous. And uh, was another point that, oh, yeah, it's kind of, uh, I was kind of thinking, like, as I was watching this, that this movie almost, it almost kind of reminds me of like Repo Man in a way, mm-hmm. and some like Alex Cox movies, just with kind of the way that it portrays the media and whatnot and stuff like that. Even like the, you know, he puts on the glasses and it just like obey and, just very simple, like white background, black letters kind of reminds me of Unrepo Man with just like the, you know, everything just <laughs> generic says, food. Yeah, generic, like it beer. Just, food. Yeah, it just is what it is. You can get some beer. Yeah, it's just beer. Yeah. Get a, and then becoming even more literal, let's get a drink. And I think they had ones that just said drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like then, and I think didn't, didn't they do that just kind of, just because of the low budget on that Yeah, movie. it was done out of necessity because they couldn't get rights to product placement. And then they just ended up being something cool and punk rock and working for them mm-hmm. in the movie itself. Because, yeah, it is interesting in that that almost comes off like a satire on brand naming. Yeah, consumerism, it's hilarious. <laughs> Good. I At least I think that's what the story was. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, like, uh, have you seen that getting kind of off topic, but have you seen the movie Walker? That was also by Alex Cox. No, I just remember there's a lot of uh, historical anachronisms. It's supposed to be set in the 1800s, but there's Black Hawk helicopters or something. Yeah, there's a lot of like... And they really pay no mind to anything or time period-wise. He's just telling the story the way he wants to tell it. Yeah, they do like they do that kind of as a joke. It's like the 1800s, but it shows product placement for like Marlboro and nah. Coke and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. As a joke. <laughs> I suppose we're talking, if you want to say that, more of the real-world applica- applications and political themes, if they're even political themes of they live and 
not so much on the movie itself other than what it meant to me as a child versus what it means now. And I'll agree with you that it seems not that it didn't have relevance, but it just has like more relevance now. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, this is either happening or at least this is things that people allude to, especially conspiracy theorists of the concept of obviously being brainwashed by the media. We're focused on things that aren't important and, uh, elitism and or entitlement mm-hmm. and being famous i don't know least amount of work for most amount of wealth mm-hmm. and uh uh once again i lost my train of thought but i guess getting back maybe to the movie itself and the characters we have rowdy rowdy piper he's the uh protagonist he's He's Rowdy Rowdy Piper. He's larger than life, but at the same time, he has an everyman quality to them where you can kind of relate to him. He's going into the unemployment office, whether you've been there or not. I guess mm-hmm. I went to job service when I was out of college looking for jobs, <laughs> and it kind of reminded me of that. And I just, I enjoyed that, whether it's interesting or not, just his first line where he's like talking to the unemployment lady, saying, oh, I'm doing this, I'm looking for this job, and that kind of pulls you in to maybe relate to that character on that everyman level. Oh yeah, for sure. Where he's just talking, oh, I did this. And the woman's just like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. And she doesn't <laughs> care. And yeah, he's just kind of like a, you know, he seems like a nice down to earth guy. He's just trying to make it in life and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It seemed like there was like a parallel with him and Keith David. They're the two main characters in this film where, they have similar philosophies, but they seem like they vary a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they even like change places a little bit where Rowdy's kind of like, I just want to do what I'm going to do, put my head down and work and this will come to me, you know? And Keith David has a similar philosophy, but at the same time, he's a little bitter about it where he says, well, I'm going to work as hard as I can, but you're going to work as hard as you can and then try and take me out and get one up on me, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, it's a level playing field and he's, he's kind of not buying it, but he just, he's kind of just kind of stuck doing what he does. Cause that's all he can do. And Oh yeah. He seems kind of, he's kind of like, you can tell he's kind of frustrated by the system of maybe like he feels like he's below people. Yeah, and he can't get ahead, and Rowdy just kind of feels like, well, he can get ahead if he just does what he's supposed to do in life. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess at the same time, it feels like they both think it's a rat race, but Rowdy's a little more optimistic about it. Mm -hmm. Keith David's a little more bitter and kind of throwing his hands up, but Mm -hmm. gives in at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, like like you said, he just kind of does what he does. He's good at doing like this construction job, so that's what he does. But you can tell that he is he wants to kind of go up, up, up in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know, other aspects of that. Uh Rowdy Piper, he's I, John Carpenter. I always I used to think when I was younger, you're so used to seeing John Carpenter's uh typical actor, his wheelhouse of actors that he used, like Kurt Russell in a few films. I mean Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China. And I remember I used to kind of think, I was kind of disappointed that he didn't pull, oh yeah, Kurt Russell in The Thing too, where she was, uh, him and Keith David kind of went head to head in that, thinking that, oh, Kurt Russell should have played Rowdy's part. And I think either one of them would have done it and it would have been good either way. They're both entertaining. They both have that everyman quality. Maybe 
Kurt Russell's a little more Hollywood movie star, you know, attractive, a little more charismatic, mm-hmm. but I, they're almost equals. And I think either way, it would have been funny. You can see Kurt doing the same things or delivering a lot of those same lines and it would have came off the same way. Oh yeah. But Rowdy, uh, I, he's awesome too. And he's funny. Mm-hmm. Even if maybe the lines aren't that funny, he makes them funny. Whereas, you know, they're just kind of, sometimes they're just like the one-liners. I mean, I don't even know if he says this, but it's almost like, oh man, these glasses were a bad idea or something. Uh, but, it, you know, it's just stuff like that, but he pulls it off in the way he says it. It's not what he's say, saying, it's how he says it or a combination of both. Mm-hmm. But yeah, John Carpenter saw him and what he did in WrestleMania 3 and that kind of gave him the idea that Rowdy would be perfect for this part and he was and that's how he mm-hmm. got cast. Uh, just his acting. He's one of the greatest heels, bad guys of the WWF. I don't think anyone will ever. He is. He's like, you know, he's the Mozart. He's the Jimi Hendrix of what he did yeah. in that. He was just a loud mouth. He was funny. He was personable, charismatic. He was the bad guy that you loved or loved to hate at the same time. I remember not liking him, you know, when I was a kid because he was the bad guy, but the same time it's like you just couldn't like wait to see him what's he gonna do what's he gonna say <laughs> he's just so like you know just loud mouth and just crazy and enigmatic he just kind of like stuck out more than all the other wrestlers because it was just like just simple design i mean it was like a kilt and t-shirt with his you know logo on it and then he just he's like a very fresh-faced like normal looking guy whereas the other guys usually had something really loud about them makeup costume oiled up skin but he just you know very came out whatever it is the the bagpipes and <laughs> uh scottish heritage and you know no makeup or any just you know plain fresh-faced you know everyman dude you know who's athletic yet though and still has the were but i don't know he had that duality about him that made him what he was and he was awesome <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah people don't know he's he passed away was it last year or two years ago yeah, it was last year, maybe in August, I think. Yeah, I don't know. This is, I've never, he's one of those, I don't know, usually I always hear bad. There's Hogan, he just kind of sounds like a big fucking piece of shit. And oh, yeah. <laughs> he's a fucking Deutsch, and and he's just like a big leathered up, oiled porn star of a guy. And <laughs> I think Rowdy, he stayed married to the same woman since the 70s and hmm. lived in a fairly modest house out in Oregon or Pacific Northwest. And he had a family and a bunch of kids, and I think he was just a good guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't hear anything bad about him, and mm. I usually don't get too broken up over celebrities unless there's someone that I admire, and I, he's definitely someone I admired. It was the same with, like, you know, Ray Manzarek, that made me sad, the keyboards from the doors, and Roger Ebert, people that I looked up to and uh, mm-hmm. definitely appreciate their art or what they did. Yeah, and then even, like, recently, like, Bowie and Lemmy, mm-hmm. seeing them die, you know? Yeah, I mean, definitely their music and who mm-hmm. they were all larger than life and did great things. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of thinking about that earlier, that it is kind of weird that Lemmy is dead already. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it's, it's weird that it was it just kind of happened so quick. He found out he had that cancer, and then two days later, like I kind of thought he would live to be, you know, mid-90s or something like that. He'd just be. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I heard about his lifestyle, though, and it was just like cheese, meat, bottle of whiskey a day, mm-hmm. any drugs he wanted, and it finally caught up with him. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think 
towards the end of his life, he was kind of getting to a point where he was kind of cutting back on all that. <laughs> Out of necessity, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I feel awful. <laughs> but uh, back to the movie and maybe the characters themselves, I could probably have said maybe too much about Rowdy, but then we have Keith David, which I don't know that much about him. I know about, I've probably seen every movie he's in. He's a formidable, he's also an, protagonist but in the same time maybe an antagonist or there is a push and a pull in the relationship between him and Rowdy Rowdy Piper and Keith David is very enigmatic and extremely entertaining and fun to watch Mm -hmm. too alongside him and there's the chemistry between them is like really awesome Mm -hmm. yeah the contrast or comparability between them like I said, the push and the pull relationship and obviously the biggest part of this movie, whether how long it is, I don't know, eight or ten minutes, but yeah. like the fight scene and it are we you and I we were just laughing our ass off from yeah. the the body hits are funny. It's almost like slapstick comedy. It's it doesn't end. It ebbs and flows. You think it's over and then it picks back up again. There's mm-hmm. it's like the uh Three Stooges, but if the Three Stooges were trying to play it serious, but it came off unintentionally funny, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's famously parodied in South Park, isn't it? Like Timmy and the crippled oh, yeah. kid, they fight like that. Yeah, I was going to mention that. that yeah. There's an episode where, yeah, Timmy and Jimmy fight. <laughs> <laughs> and they, I think, yeah, Matt and Trace mentioned that they modeled that after the fight scene and they live. Yeah, and I, maybe it's something on first view, or even like I said, seeing this when I'm young, that it, it's just a fight scene. If you watch it now, and it's like this is one. It's it's really really well done. And mm-hmm. I remember reading that. I mean, these as far as like them in reality, you know, I guess Rowdy's dead, but they're they're big guys and they're oh, athletic. Yeah. And I just they're. Like, in reality, they're frightening. I mean, I wouldn't want to mess with those guys. Oh, no. And I, I believe I read, other than the the punches to the face, which you can see those are pulled, but I heard a lot of the body hits were real. I mean, they were mm. really socking each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're tough guys. And- mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like there's, during, there's a, a scene, like, he first gets that construction job, and he's like, He's got his shirt taken off. Yeah, well, that, when you notice that, I mean, you notice he's a, he's a big strapping guy, but then like when you see he has his shirt off, he's like he's very cut. I mean, he's oh just, yeah, it's like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it catches your attention. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and then like we were watching this, and I kind of made the joke, made a joke like, oh, the they hired him because you know he's both an actor and a stuntman. Yeah, they didn't have to hire a stuntman. He really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why john carpenter hired it yeah um, i think i was like thinking i mean obviously you other than people who are just inherently tough and are of like oh just a natural warrior people you don't want to get into a fight with you know like a professional martial artist a boxer and then probably definitely you don't want to get in a fight with a pro wrestler uh, <laughs> these are all people that like know how to fight not only do they know how to fight i mean they literally know how to take a hit mm-hmm. and do damage so you know yeah. fight them yeah, you wouldn't want to fight um, Joe Rogan. <laughs> He's a UFC guy. He's a dildo. I don't like him. 
<laughs> and I don't think he's fucking funny. <laughs> I don't know. You wouldn't want to get in a fight with Muhammad Ali, even while he's well, old. now. He'd- He's retarded from getting beat up. He's old. Yeah, he's old. You could, <laughs> I could, we could beat the shit out of him if we wanted to. Horrible. Um, Mike Tyson. Yeah, you wouldn't want to get in a fight nah. with him. Beat, beat, kill you. He's crazy. I was thinking, like, you know, that fight scene. And I suppose you could maybe. I don't know if you'd have enough material to re-edit it, but I almost wish there wasn't like an extended cut. And the whole movie was just the fight scene. Uh, I mean, that's so it's the fight scene is so entertaining. I could watch 90 minutes of just that as long as they kept doing different things with it. But mm. I don't know, that'd be kind of funny. Like if they somehow led up to the glasses things, like five minutes of you know, he finds them, blah blah blah. This oh, they're aliens, and then then they fight for the rest of the movie, finally puts the glasses on him, and then it's just like credits roll. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Funny to me. Oh yeah, you should mention that the put on the glasses that you used in the intro for the podcast yeah. is for, taken from this movie. Definitely, yeah. When we used to, I originally started with Mega Creamcast and the Showbiz Kids. Did we keep the? Yeah, we kept the theme, Erna. Yeah, we did. We kept the original, and we used that because we felt it was kind of a whether or not specifically, but a lot of what we talked about in our original podcast was I don't know movies. And I, we would touch on conspiracy theories or at least things that related to that or media, social media, mm-hmm. things, movies we like, things we enjoy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> put on the glasses. Yeah. He's like, you put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. <laughs> a lot of funny lines from Riley in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I like the line when he's in that grocery store and he sees that old lady and he's like, you look like you get, like your face got uh, on the bean dip. Bean dip in 1956. <laughs> He's like, you, you're okay. You, real fucking ugly, <laughs> fucking formaldehyde face. <laughs> <laughs> and then the yeah, the cashier's like, I'm gonna call the police. And he's like, Why don't you call a Brazilian plastic surgeon? Yeah, he kind of said something where he was like mocking the guy's accent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guessing that was kind of improv. <laughs> Got what else did I want to mention? Oh yeah, um, you know, obey clothing. They obviously, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's taken from this movie, and uh, I guess literally, or they there is some campaign or something with like the when they depict a president or a politician talking. They did something with that too because that. They would have the Obey behind him. That was also part of that ad, whatever it is. Obey clothing, Obey art, stickers. I don't know who did that. And I, it kind of makes me think of Banksy, but it's not Banksy. And they had the Obey thing, and it was literally taken from They Live as kind of a found object thing. And then they had some with uh, Andre the Giant's face. Yeah. But I'm, I don't know. It's almost one of those things where it means something but then it gets used so much that it just kind of becomes something else or loses its it, yeah, loses punch its. because it's so seen on the internet or in skateboard magazines or stickers or oh, graffiti yeah. and it just kind of loses its power or message, which yeah. is very similar to the whole 
they live thing where it's just everywhere and you don't see it anymore because it's so commonplace. It's like power lines. Yeah. Yeah, like advertisements and whatnot. And mm-hmm. Thinking what else. And with John Carpenter, I mean, this is still like a great movie, but I believe his best like soundtrack work started. John Carpenter, if everyone doesn't know, and if you know John Carpenter, you know that he does a lot of his own soundtrack work or did. And a lot of it is what you would call minimal composing and very synth-heavy drum machine and synth lines, uh, sequencers, or and or being so prehistoric that he played the parts himself. Or maybe there's some guitar included in that. But everything is very rudimentary and uh, motifs, motif-driven patterns. He did the soundtrack for this, and you hear like maybe some hints of like Escape from New York, that type of work, but it's moving more into like uh, kind of a hybrid, darker blues rock. It's Mm -hmm. not as good as his other themes. It definitely, I mean, you kind of think of there's a kind of a motif to or whatever he's doing in this particular. It grabs you, it's catchy, but I. Mm wouldn't say it's his best soundtrack work. His best soundtrack work being obviously Halloween, mm-hmm. Escape from Precinct 13, Assault on Precinct 13, I mean, and uh, Escape from New York. Those are the extremely strong ones. And then from there, it varies and changes. Like I said, it gets into more of a weird blues territory that's not as satisfying <laughs> for I, John Carpenter work. Yeah, I I, I was gonna, I was kind of thinking, like you mentioned that, at the beginning of the movie when, when the music first starts, kicks in. And uh, I, I got to say, I do think, though, that it fits with the movie and kind of fits with just uh, the image of him kind of, he's almost like a drifter walking with, like, just his bag and yeah. whatnot. It kind of fits with the mood. And it the, has purpose, the city but landscapes. it doesn't always uh, resolve. It kind of shuffles and moves along kind of like rowdy's character yeah i mean it like fits really well with that i think this movie is uh i don't remember and i'm not i we've done did a little research we at least watched it before we came into the podcast right before we did it i don't remember if this I'm not going to say it like did horribly. I'm sure it made its money back, but I don't know if it did particularly well. And Mm -hmm. it ended up kind of being maybe a sleeper hit Mm -hmm. for people like us or even me back then seeing it as a kid. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Or you got to show this to a friend or I'd record it off Showtime and show it to someone, you know, oh, this is great. And listen to the funny stuff. He says, chew bubble gum, kick ass, a lot of bubble gum, you know, whatever. Now it's all memes, but (laughs) uh, it's definitely something kind of like the Big Lebowski or Big Trouble in Little China, another John Carpenter movie where it got a second life on video rentals Mm -hmm. and DVD, Blu-ray sales or streaming. Mm -hmm. Whereas you bought it on Blu-ray. I think I own it on DVD. I'd probably buy it on Blu-ray. It's just kind of a half, it's a cult. It ends up being a cult movie. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. And I remember like, like uh, you and I were kind of talking about that one time that it, it it's kind of interesting that this movie got released by a major studio and whatnot because you probably wouldn't see that happen now. It'd no, times more. have changed, and if it did get released, it'd be a and I don't, it's not even wouldn't even necessarily be watered down. It'd just be something different. Mm-hmm. 
whereas people are making movies like this now and they're the independent underground <laughs> films. Yeah, for sure. Even if they do have a million or two or, you know, somewhat million dollar budget, it's just still not the, it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, that was, you know, Big Trouble Little China would be like something that the guy that did Hobo from the, sh- or Hobo with a shotgun would do a movie like that. Mm-hmm. But that was a big budget. You know, that was a major motion picture. I remember we went to a movie in a theater in Minneapolis and I remember seeing that trailer and I'm like nine or 10 years old and my mind is exploding. I'm just like, Oh, this is like the craziest, greatest movie ever. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all the things that makes the eighties action and martial arts and, uh, uh, Asian mysticism, monsters, wizards, special effects, mm-hmm. all of that. And then I remember like you mentioned that and then I kind of mentioned that like, like, uh, like the movie, uh, and people, uh, I think I've heard, you know, meant people mention that on online and stuff like that, that like, uh, the movie, uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas came out in 1998 and that mm-hmm. was released by universal and you <laughs> Which is crazy now. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't see a movie like that released by a major studio now. No. And that's just, you know. Not that he didn't do amazing work before that and or after that, but I think that was Terry Gilliam writing off the success of, you know, 12 Monkeys. And obviously you get something that you do, the film, whatever it was. I don't, I can't remember. I think David Peoples and his wife wrote the 12 Monkeys script and it was based off the original short film Legette. Hmm. And then you get some people attached to it, like Bruce Willis and. Brad Pitt pretty much at the top of their game. Oh yeah. In the late nineties. And I remember I went to 12 monkeys twice in the theaters and that's probably one of the most commercially accessible Terry Gilliam films. After that, he probably had carte blanche and they're, I want to adapt this with Johnny Depp and Benicio del Toro. Mm -hmm. Both of those two are also hot at that time. Mm -hmm. Benicio coming off usual suspects and Depp doing whatever he was doing. Mm Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, yeah, sure, of course. And <laughs> sure, looking back, they were like, oh, God. So what uh, what uh, rating would you give They Live? Probably give it like 10 pairs of those glasses that they put on. <laughs> I'd probably give the movie an 8 out of 10. Yeah, see that? 8 um, Obey stickers out of 10. <laughs> Do, do, um, are there any any more uh, things you'd like to say about the movie? I think we've covered quite a bit of it mm-hmm. without doing any research as usual. Yeah, I guess I, guess I kind of think of like the, this movie definitely like with the the whole like reptilian not it is kind of more it's more of a satire than anything else, right? Like like I I guess like you, you were kind of talking about conspiracy you know like there are like you can go on youtube and there's just probably thousands of conspiracy videos that people have made and it's i don't know it's it's interesting i suppose it's provocative but a lot of that you know probably is just people making shit up and whatnot oh it's fucking stupid (laughs) (laughs) i'm probably not quoting this right you know a scientist is wrong one time and they lose all credibility Mm mm-hmm but a conspiracy theorist can just run their mouth and say whatever the fuck they want 
and they just have to be right one time oh, to yeah. gain any credibility and mm-hmm. just kind of like shows the stupidity of it in, in itself with something like that where it just gives them the opportunity to just be like whatever you know tinfoil hats and drink vinegar or something to avoid the spraying in the clouds with the what is it what do you call that shit contrails yeah fucking idiots <laughs> and it is a, I don't know, it always comes back to that well they're they're doing this thing to us or this is happening well what are you gonna do about it yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what i think a lot. you know it is it always comes back to that or what are you gonna do and who are you and you're the small guy and okay so you can go timothy mcveigh yourself into an executioner's chair and <laughs> <laughs> and I, you're fighting what and you did what so you kill a bunch of innocent people to wake people up <laughs> whether or not you know he's a righteous guy which he is not for murder, murdering innocent people because he doesn't like bullies and the government doing this so you go and attack innocent people to send a message and kill, I don't know, it's just terrorism and you're a confused mentally deranged person mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not fighting the good fight mm-hmm at least in my opinion, explain it to me differently, make me a believer. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you're going to. <laughs> yeah, that's. I guess that's kind of one of the criticisms that uh, conspiracy theorists get a lot. Is well, what are you doing to help and whatnot? You yeah, know, I guess I said that anything. earlier. I don't. You're just propagating more shit. Mm-hmm. Propagandi. <laughs> Decent band. <laughs> a lot of changes. Pop punk. Punk. Kind of some type of metal. I, don't, I haven't heard a lot of their newer stuff. Yeah, I guess I've never really listened to them before. I've heard they're good. Yeah, the original stuff was pretty pop punk. I'm obviously like very talented, but not my thing. <laughs> it's a cool name, though. Yeah, it was a pretty good name. <laughs> Propagandi. It's like Dead Kennedys. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's more clever and more, you know, pun and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Dead Kennedys, that ain't no pun. No, it's just supposed to offend you. <laughs> well, shit, I don't know what else you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Why is the cat growling at you? Mm-hmm. Let's <laughs> record that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Cooper. This is Cooper. Um, but yeah, I should, uh, I would definitely suggest to the folks out there to check out the movie they live. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. If you're maybe a neo new millennial, you might not enjoy it. It might not, it might seem slow and boring, <laughs> but all the things I like about this are the reason why I miss movies like this. It's, mm-hmm. it's paced. It's character driven. Yeah. It's obviously not dealing with a large budget. There's a large budget, but it's not it's a, built more around, you know, like the set pieces and there's really not that lot of and there might be a little bit of squib work and the majority of the special effects are probably post production and or the character masks or the makeup of the alien creatures themselves. Mm-hmm. And you don't even like see them in full color till the last like maybe two or three minutes of the film. 
Mm -hmm. They're always in black and white, so they probably saved budgetary that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. It does, you know, it's not super low budget, but it's not mega budget, you know, like a lot of them, like a lot of blockbusters are. No, it really isn't, but it totally works for what it is. I don't expect Mm -hmm. anything more or less from it while I'm watching it. I'm not disappointed. Mm -hmm. It works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Like the characters are interesting. The themes are interesting, all that. Like I said, yeah, during that, and maybe if I didn't mention it, the of the fight scene too, of being able, like if it was a extended cut of just 90 minutes of them fighting, I could watch it because it is interesting. And the choreography probably done by Keith and Rowdy. Why wouldn't Rowdy be able to do the choreography? Does it, he did it as a pro wrestler. I'm sure he made all that up. Mm-hmm. It's a really good like fight scene. It's really interesting and fun and it's edited well. And the fighting itself is good. I mean, even if they didn't, which there, it's not like a modern movie. There isn't a cut every, you know, two seconds. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of extended shots where they just hang on them fighting, but you know, and where other movies that may fail because the choreography isn't that good. I think like it's really believable what they're doing, what's happening to these two guys, other than the fact that they'd probably, you know, they pretty much beat themselves to a pulp and they'd most likely either be concussed, knocked out dead, or in a hospital with broken bones and problems. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I think they just kind of, yeah, that's like the next day. Oh, yeah. They probably wouldn't be able to see out of their eyes and their faces would be all swollen. Oh, yeah. Continuity. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's that part where yeah, Roddy's on the ground, and you think, ah, uh, is he going to be able to get up? Uh, then of course he does. Right. And he kind of goes for a cheap shot. Is he either tries to kick or punch Keith David in the balls, and Keith David kind of grabs his hand with both hands and stops him from connecting, and he's like, "You dirty motherfucker!" <laughs> and that's pretty funny. <laughs> Put the glasses on, Keith David. They're really getting really beat up, and Keith David's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I suppose, uh, I guess we have anything we want to... Yeah, you've been listening to Mike's Movie Corner, your hosts, Martin Lean, and... And Michael Moss. Do you have anything you want to plug? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I want to plug... Uh... They Live will be showcased in Aberdeen, South Dakota at the Capitol Theater with Q&A of John Carpenter. Yeah, John Carpenter will be there. Keith David. Uh, uh, no, not George Buck Flowers. He's the old guy. and he He's unfortunately died. He was also a staple in a lot of John Carpenter movies. I think Kurt Russell found him in the uh, basement of that... Uh, would have been like Radio City Music Hall, supposedly, when New York escaped from New York. And he was the guy. When he finds him, he's wearing Donald Pleasance's life meter on his wrist. And he's like, you you the president or something, Kurt? And he's like, oh, that's right. I, I'm the president. I know when I got this. And he points to his bracelet that I'm the president. <laughs> and he starts singing Hail to the Chief, but he's singing the wrong melody with the right lyrics. So he's singing... Hail to the chief. Da, 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 da. But that's actually, <laughs> it was like a Christmas song. What is yeah, that? Um, Joy to, to the, the world. world. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> it, uh, it even made like John Carpenter laugh because I think I listened to, that's like another fun thing. If you ever like own any of those movies, you can listen to the 
director's commentary and the ones with the Kurt Russell ones where it's usually Kurt Russell and John Carpenter and they're both like chain smoking and drinking beers while they do it. And <laughs> like John Carpenter starts laughing. He's like, oh yeah, so we have George Buck Flowers here and yeah, that's, yeah, that's not Hail to the Chief. That's a Christmas song. It's <laughs> 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 pretty funny. Mm. So yeah, yeah, you plugged, oh yeah, yeah, we'll have that, yeah. So you look, yeah, look for that. Uh, that's that's going to, that's going to happen. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, it's a 35 millimeter uh, print of They Live, delivered by uh, John Carpenter himself. He'll be here talking with Tom Black and Brent Brandt at the uh, Aberdeen Community Theater. I think Kurt Russell will be in attendance. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in the movie, but he'll just be here. <laughs> and uh, Keith David. Oh. Uh, Meg Foster, she'll be here too. Guy with the lady with the crazy eyes. And. Uh, I think the DP from that film, John Carpenter will be performing the uh, soundtrack live on stage with Doug Rezac, myself, and Joe Wigdahl, um, and a few other uh, Aberdeen musicians. So, I mean, I look forward to that. I look forward to it. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. And um, who, who else is going to? Goldie Hawn will be there, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe Kate Hudson. I don't know. She might appear. Maybe Tom Cruise only wouldn't come. You know? Yeah. Because he like he likes these events. Well, he likes these events, and he's got to promote Top Gun too. Yeah. That is happening, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Hope so. You know what? I got a need. A need for, for Top Gun two. Need for Top Gun two. The movie Speed. Starring Keanu. He could have been in this movie. What they love? Yeah. He could have played Keith David. <laughs> okay, I think we're I think we're done. Well, I wanna promote oh, okay. um the Point Break remake is available on DVD and Blu-ray now. Oh, it is? That's good. Yeah. If you want anybody out there who wants to get it, go ahead and buy it. Yep. There were actors in the film. Mm-hmm. Don't know who they were, but... No Keanu Reeves. Nope, but... no, no Swayze, no Wazy. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> on that joke, we cue the music. All right. All right. Bye.